everybody to Watch Diary. My name is Ryan Snelling, and as always, I'm excited to be here with you today. My room, my backdrop looks a little bit different, a little bit more pathetic, a little bit more sad. I am three days away from moving out of this apartment, out of the state of Arizona, and into the state of Kentucky, if you hadn't figured it out by my hat and my shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing my Kentucky getup today. Not a very good one. But I just threw together everything that I had that had Kentucky on it. Because um, we're celebrating. It's bittersweet. You know, I'm going to miss this place. I'm going to miss, well, a lot of things. But we'll get to that later. Uh, I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. I definitely did. It was very nice and warm. And I loved it. Again, bittersweet. Because I had to say a few goodbyes. But it was still good. And I'm, I'm grateful for the people that I have in my life. And the good food that I had. And for you. The listener, the viewer, everybody who subscribes and follows my content, I appreciate you, and I i don't think I say it enough. I try to. I wish I had more maybe personal interactions with you all, uh, but you know, the people that have been with me since like Sight and Sound, and the Collider stuff, and the Schmoes No stuff, like I try to make sure I get, I, I uh, make sure you all know you're appreciated, uh, the Jeremy Grays, the Ben Brassos, the Kevin Marks, the Brodies, and you know everybody else. You know, there's a lot of names. Um, the people that have stuck by me for for years through thick and thin. I greatly appreciate you all. The David Bells. How could I forget David Bell? And uh, so yeah, I I appreciate you. I just want to let you know that. And um, yeah, maybe maybe from here on out, I'll I'll uh, I'll work harder. But but you can work harder too. You know, you can reach out to me and and talk to me and. Uh, uh, anyway, I'd be happy to get to know you guys. But anyway, with that said, uh, thank just thank you so much. Um, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope it was nice and uh, and warm as well. I'm getting older. I'm using things. I'm using words like the word warm. You know, another thing adults say about Thanksgiving, it, it was quiet. You know, how was your holiday? It was quiet. I don't know if that means it was sad um, or if it was just like nice and relaxing. Uh, I hope it's the latter, but anyway, um, I just hope that you all had a good time, and so there's that. Uh, this is being recorded on Saturday the 26th. It's 9 in the morning. I don't know when I'm posting it exactly, but this is the last piece of content uh, that I'm going to be making in Arizona, and I'll get back to you on when the next episode is. I don't know how the schedule is going to work anymore, because... I'm going to have to work on Fridays. Me and Brando might have to figure out a new show altogether. I don't know what's going to happen. But everything about my life is changing, so I don't know exactly how content looks. But what I am really excited about is I use these opportunities when I move. and I use these opportunities to, to minimize the things that I have currently. And then retroactively <laughs> spend money and upgrade... Uh, certain things. So right now, I've got a lot of stuff. I know where my setup's going to be. You know, I have to live with my parents for a little while. My mom and my stepdad. I have to live with them for a little while, but I'll eventually move out into my apartment. Uh, it's just going to... Looking for an apartment was just going to be another thing that added time. Um, and I, I just was trying to get to Kentucky as fast as possible. So I didn't want to worry about another apartment while I was here. And it's just a lot easier if I'm if I go on and move and then figure out the apartment situation. So so I'm going to live with my mom and stepdad for a while. My recording uh, schedule is going to change. My my background, my backdrop, everything's going to change. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to have my bed in the background. That's going to be nice. My bed's not going to be there. My fan, because um, I'm kind of doing it in like a, not a closet, but like a side room. And then um, I took this opportunity to upgrade uh, my computer monitor and I've got some new lighting. And so, yeah, just a whole bunch of stuff is coming for that. Um, anyway, other stuff that y'all probably don't care about, but I'm excited about, but yeah, actually I'm not even taking this bed. I just realized I, I had to pack up bone bruiser two, which is what I call my car. I don't know if I've ever told you all that. So I had to I'm packing up bone bruiser two and I just have to leave behind a ton of stuff. So, but Ernesto got some stuff off of me, bought some stuff off of me. And then, uh, his new roommate is going to buy my bed. And so I've got all that stuff figured out. My car and all of my personal belongings are leaving the state of Arizona on Monday. And I'm flying out first thing Tuesday. So I'll be home Tuesday afternoon. My sister and my mom are going to pick me up. 
and my car should arrive hopefully by that Friday. So I'm going to have like three days where I don't have any of my stuff, but it's going to be okay. Um, again, minimization. I like, you know, I like buying things. As you can tell, my steelbook collection has like grown exponentially since I last talked about it. Um, I've got a couple to show you now, uh, but I'll do. I might do like a full blown steelbook show um, coming up. That might be fun, and it'll especially be irritating to Brando. Uh, but no, I, I've been. I love buying things, but I also love getting rid of things. It's almost like they counteract because buying too much could be an unhealthy habit. So it's like it's great that I also love purging myself of belongings. Like I love getting rid of clothes. I love getting rid of just junk that I had. Like you know, there was one night that um, there was one night. I don't know, probably last year. I was really worried about my blood pressure. I know what it was. At work, <laughs> we would set up these blood drives, or not blood drives, like blood donation with the Red Cross. The the trucks would come and people could donate blood at our work. And I went in one time. It was in the middle of my shift. And I guess I was stressed to the max because I went to go give blood like with every intent of doing it. And they denied me because of my blood pressure. Now, because I have anxiety and paranoia, that sent me into a whirlwind. And I bought a blood pressure machine thing you know, that I could strap around my arm and... and I used it once and then never use it again because I'm not really worried about the, my blood pressure, I guess. So that's the kind of stuff that I just like gather along the way, but I don't really need to take. So that's the kind of stuff that I love to purge and, uh, you know, put it behind me. Anyway, that's stupid. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, anyway. All over the place. Um, yeah, so my Thanksgiving, I went to uh, Ernesto's family's. Uh, and it was nice, you know, Ernesto, he's got two brothers and a sister, uh, his parents, they included me in the family a couple of years ago, you know, ever since my sister has since come out and become friends with Ernesto and she stayed at their house and they've, they've done a lot for me and made me feel really, you know, welcome here. And so I had my, I, I had a great time with them, but I, you know, bittersweet, I said my goodbyes. I've got a plate of Thanksgiving food that I need to remember to eat. I'll probably eat that on Monday. Um, so, yeah, that was sad. And saying goodbye to Ernesto is going to be sad. Uh, we've had a couple of cry sessions tonight at the time that I'm recording this. I have um, like a going away dinner with uh, me and all my work friends. And that's going to be nice, too. Um, yeah, I've already said a lot of goodbyes like at work, you know, just based on like the shifts and everything. I, You know, I said... Yeah, it was weird because it's like really in those moments, of course, it's sad, but you just like really understand how you feel about people in moments like that. And there's like people that and I think this is OK. There's people that I just didn't connect with. And there's people that, you know, I, I it could go either way, whether I, you know, had like a sentimental goodbye. And so and not, not like in a mean spirit away, but it's just like it's just like, OK, I think that if you just don't get along with certain people and, you know, you say your goodbye and, and then there's people that you don't know if you're close to, but then you, they end up surprising you by just saying meaningful things to you and you say meaningful things back. And it's kind of like this beautiful moment with a person that you didn't expect to have. And I've had a couple of those. I, and I've been I've been kind of shocked by some of the reactions um, from people that like I just didn't know where I stood with them I guess is the best way to put it and like just the outpouring and the kind words that I've gotten from them and the support and yeah it's been really nice you know some some interactions haven't surprised me at all but mo more than mo more most of them. <laughs> have surprised me and, and been nice. And so that, so I'm going to have a few more of those moments here in the next couple of days. But, um, so Monday is my birthday. Yeah. Monday, the 28th is my birthday. Uh, the day that my car gets shipped out. It's also my first day not working for Starbucks. And that's going to be nice. Um, 
I got to pack up my car, though, because like I said, Bo Bruiser 2 is getting... Uh, so I guess tonight, the dinner is a birthday dinner and a going away dinner. But uh, Tuesday, when I get home, I get to celebrate my birthday with my family. And my younger sister has the same birthday I do. So I get to spend my birthday with her as well. And it's going to be... It's going to be good. You know, it was sad that I didn't get to spend Thanksgiving with them, but that's okay. And I'll be home for my birthday, and I'll obviously be there for Christmas. So everything's everything's going great. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really happy. So anyway, enough of that. I'm just kind of rambling on telling you about my week and my weekend. I've watched a ton of stuff. This is going to be an action-packed episode. We have the Andor finale to discuss. We have the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I saw The Menu, Bones and All, The Fablemans, and Glass Onion. So there's six titles we got to talk about. So this is going to be an action-packed episode. And I'm here for it if you are. Um, I plan on ranking all the Marvel products. Products? Yeah. Freudian slip. I'm going to rank all the Marvel products <laughs> here um, once I get home. I'm, I'm hoping that I have a friend of mine uh, that I'll talk more about later on. I don't know if he's going to join in with me. I'm hoping because it'd be great. Uh, I'm hoping that I have a friend of mine uh, joining me for that Marvel ranking. It'll be the last one. You know, I, th I think it's silly to rank Marvel every time a new project comes out, even if the list changes. Like, even if it's just like, oh, you know, I keep flip-flopping Thor the Dark World and Incredible Hulk. It's like, no. Um, so I, I, I decided, and I, I think I might've said this before, but I decided I'm only ever going to do two of those a year. So now that we're at the end of the year, I'm going to rank Marvel. I'm not going to do it again when quantum media comes out. I'll do it next June or something. But anyway, so my Marvel ranking, it'll probably be one of the first podcasts, uh, back after this. And then, um, I'm trying to think of what else I'll probably do like a steel book show where I just like show off my collection. I don't really... I'm not like someone to talk about that kind of stuff in depth. I mean, I'll just show you and show you how cool I think it is, but that's kind of it. Um, and yeah, so that's everything that I, I have coming up. Um, I'm going to take a break real quick just because I need to prepare myself. I need to pace myself. So I'm going to take a break. Uh, before I talk about Disney Plus and Guardians and Andor, I kind of wanted to show off two steelbooks that I got in yesterday. I just think they're really cool. Um. And again, Steelbooks, if, I haven't really talked a whole lot about it the last few weeks, but this it's just something I'm getting into lately, and I don't know why. I think it's because I have a PS5, and I have a 4K Blu-ray player, and I've just fallen back in love with what physical media looks like. Because, And I know that there are some people, you know, I, I have people that tell me that they can't tell a difference from Blu-ray Blu to 4K, let alone streaming 4k and disc and there's definitely a difference i mean i can tell i guess that's all that really matters but I also just love i had a huge blu-ray collection um in high school and college huge and over time again the minimalistic uh side of me just decided you know what? i just want to put it all on streaming and i spent a lot of money just buying movies on voodoo and digital and just having them there um but you know what? Again, I got pulled to the other side. And there's just something about having steelbooks. It's not, I'm not buying a lot of 4K Blu-rays in the traditional Blu-ray case because I just don't like them. But these are just more rock solid. and They just feel more special. And I think that's the whole point. Um, more for collectors and things. And I just feel like they're not going to wear as fast. You know, you can definitely damage them and stuff. But... Uh, I just I just like the idea of what I love what they look like on a shelf and I love that um, at any point I can just pop this in the picture is just unparalleled like 100% I can tell the difference uh, I don't know if you can not everybody can but I I do so anyway I have a lot of my stuff packed up but I just got these two and I just kind of wanted to show them off I got these two yesterday and I had to pack them up with everything else um, it's also kind of fun to go and find these. Because steelbooks are so limited. If you don't know anything about this, steelbooks are so like limited uh, in terms of um, they're not always released traditionally. Like just because a movie is being released on 4K, you know, in the traditional like a few months after its theatrical release, just because it's coming out of 4K doesn't mean it's coming out in a steelbook. Just because it's coming out 
and it still doesn't mean it's coming out in America. Sometimes it comes, they're all over the world. I've ordered these. Um, and so some of them are like out of print. So I have to buy them used out of print. Some of them are out of, you know, whatever. And I have to buy them from used apps and used websites, um, international websites. So it's kind of like a Easter egg hunt to like find your favorite movie in Steelbook. So, I mean, a lot of them aren't even made in Steelbook. So, uh, one of these is just a Blu-ray, but I had to have it because it was incredible. But anyway, this is a 4k of the Northman. So I really wanted this one because The Northman is in, so far, my top five movies of the year. And what my thought process going into buying these, uh, it gets the 4K and the regular Blu-ray here. Uh, my thought process going into these, it's not like I'm going to buy... I don't know. What's a good example? It's not like I'm just going to buy some romantic comedy on a 4K book. It, it needs to... It needs to warrant like an incredible home viewing experience. So would I buy super bad on 4K Steelbook? No. Would I buy it on Blu-ray at all? No. I'll, I'll, I can stream super bad. It's fine. But if we're talking about one of my favorite movies of any year, if we're talking about something that's just absolutely gorgeous to watch on 4K or on a Blu-ray, then I'll get it. But I'm not just going to buy any random little movie like this. So anyway, The Northman, I keep poorly showing this on camera. The Northman is one of my favorite movies of 2022. So this, it finally came in. I think it came in from overseas, if I remember correctly, because it had the the regional tags. Um, if any of you guys are like interested in getting into this, I don't know if people know this, but 4K Blu-rays, they don't, they're region free. So if you don't, if you don't know what that means, like if, if you bought Blu-ray um, and you bought like an international one, it would come in with international titles or international languages. I think you could still change it, but I, I remember I remember I had international uh, the Blu-ray collection of Lost. I had accidentally bought like an international version, and I when I got it, it was in I think some Asian language, and I just had to like guess what the menus were, and it was kind of frustrating. Uh, but it wasn't really that big of a deal. But anyway, 4K stuff is region free, so you can literally buy any 4K from around the world. Um, and, but you watch it, so I'm assuming if you're buying American, like American-made films, uh, it comes in American. It, it, it just opens up and asks you what language you want to move forward in. So none of the region stuff matters uh, when it comes to 4K. Um, so anyway, so the Northman is one. It didn't come with anything, but that's okay. I mean, I don't think, you know, some of the recent movies like this, they just kind of come out without any special features or without anything extra. Uh, nothing too crazy because it's so recent, but... uh. So the Northman's one. This bad boy. This is the Blu-ray. It's not a 4K because this isn't available on 4K at all, let alone 4K Steelbook. This is one of the most underrated movies of the last uh, 10 years, I believe. I can't remember exactly what year it came out. I think it's about 10 years old. Something like that. Uh, this is a great movie. I think it's a masterpiece. It is... Whoops. Joe Carnahan's The Gray. Now, this is a beautiful... I don't know exactly what this is. It's some kind of like vinyl, I think. But this isn't the steelbook. This is a cover. And I just think it's so cool looking. This is a definitely a collector's piece. I got this from overseas. I think from a manufacturer by Nova. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to talk about steelbooks in the way that steelbook people do. But yeah, this is a beautiful collector's edition. Live and die on this day. And uh, I just think this is a great film. And I'm probably going to watch it later today. Uh, but it comes with this booklet. Um, I haven't looked through this entirely because I got it last night. And uh, yeah, there's just like interest, some tidbits and some photographs and stuff. There was uh, What's-His-Face's character. Um, well, that's in a foreign language. But anyway, just a cool little booklet that it came with. And then uh, the Steelbook itself is the... The common movie poster. And when you open it up, uh, there's more stills in here that I have packaged up. But yeah, this was just a Blu-ray. It's not available in 4K, but it's still going to look good. And uh, I'm excited to watch it. So anyway, I just thought this was super, super cool and I had to have it. Because um, I love this film very much. And watching it on Blu-ray is still better than watching it on streaming. So anyway. 
that's all I wanted to show you. I'll probably do a full-blown steelbook show uh, when I get home, like I said. I've, I think I've already announced it like three times. But there, I have a lot more that I've gotten, but it's all just packed away. So anyway, there's that. So let's talk about streaming. <laughs> Alright, let's start with um, the most recent release. It just came out yesterday at the time that I'm recording this. The Guardians of the Gol... Hmm. The Guardians of the Galladay. The Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special is here. It's the second Marvel presentation. It's technically what closes out Phase 4, even though nobody seems to know what actually closes out Phase 4, depending on who you ask. Guardians 2 was maybe the biggest disappointment personally for me in the MCU. My journey through the MCU, as, as high as I was after Guardians of the Galaxy, that movie made me so happy, and I love it to this day. And Brando loves to bring up all the shit I used to talk about. When the Guardians 2 trailer came out, Jay wasn't that hot on it, and I was freaking out just saying, how is this going to be bad? There's no way it can be bad. And there's got to be a meme out there that Brando's created, me just being absolutely disappointed by Guardians 2. Because I, I just don't think that movie works um, at all. It, it has a fandom around it. Like Some people really appreciate it. I don't get you, uh, but that's fine. Um, to each their own. But Guardians 2 was my personal biggest disappointment. So I didn't really know how to feel about this, especially because it's, it's, I don't want to say it's a gimmick, but by design, these special presentations, I just feel like the attitude to have, right or wrong, is just go in and like give yourself to it and have fun, especially when it's literally called holiday special. Like, don't think that too hard on it. But at the same time, I kind of just wanted to feel good and feel better about the guardians again as a standalone franchise. So I, I did carry a little bit of that in with me, even though I saw that it was 45 minutes. I understood that it was a special presentation and I understood the whole point was to just kidnap Kevin Bacon. Like I get all that, but at the same time, I just wanted to love it because guardians hasn't been working for me lately. And I am happy to say that I, I really just had a pleasant, lovely time watching this i really did and i think it checked all the boxes it really was just a holiday special um but i did think it had a couple of elements that were interesting and added a new dynamic to to what's going on in the mcu i mean it doesn't alter it doesn't make any seismic changes to where we're going um it is very much just a guardians holiday special but i think it worked and I think that it's probably the best use so far. You know, it's only two. We only have a two project sample size here. But I do think it was the better presentation, into the special presentation on MCU Disney+. Plus. Uh, and I liked Werewolf by Night. I think they're both good. I just liked that it had a little bit more to do with everything and it didn't feel so standoffish. Because I think that's the constant... That's constantly what we're battling with right now in Phase 4, and it's just kind of uncomfortable, uh, and I haven't quite figured it out yet, and I definitely want to spend time doing that when we rank all the Marvel projects, but it's just uncomfortable uh, from project to project deciding whether or not it works, that it's standoffish because it's the multiverse saga, or standalone, I should say. Uh, but anyway, simply put, I had a lot of fun. And I think the biggest reason why I enjoyed this and found a new love for the Guardians again is because of the dynamic between Mantis and Drax. Because that's one of the things I just absolutely don't like about Guardians 2 is that it's just kind of mean. And it's kind of un it's uncomfortable. I keep saying that. Guardians 2 is kind of uncomfortable to watch. Uh, because I don't like Drax and Mantis in that movie. I really don't. I like them... As characters, I think Drax was a much better character in the first movie. Um, but he's kind of just become a parody of himself. I mean, that's what a, what a lot of these MCU characters... That's what happens to them. I mean, look at Thor. But I, Drax didn't work for me in Guardians 2. But Drax and Mantis had a lovely relationship. It wasn't mean-spirited. They were just, you know, just silly goose times with each other. Kidnapping Kevin Bacon. and You know, I, I think that... One of the things that I've criticized Marvel for is doing the same type of joke over and over because it's like lowest common denominator. And there was a little bit of that, but it also made me laugh. So even though I, I felt stupid laughing, I, I did enjoy a lot of the jokes. Um, 
one of my biggest criticisms in terms of like Rocket is the jokes where we just call Rocket another animal name. It I think that is so played and so lazy to just make up a joke about somebody calling Rocket a different animal than he is. But at least Kevin Bacon called him a raccoon because he's on Earth. And seeing Rocket try to tackle Kevin Bacon was was incredible. Uh, it was the best use of that joke, even though it's only been done a hundred million times at this point. Um, it just it just worked for me. And there's not a whole lot else to kind of expand upon. You know, I, I think it it definitely makes sense that, you know, spoiler alert. Um, it, well, it's in the trailer. I think. It doesn't matter. You can figure it out. Uh, the fact that Mantis and Star-Lord are technically, you know, bro and sis, I thought that was really nice. It's literally said within five minutes of the thing. Um, that that makes sense. You know, I guess I never really thought of it like that, but it was nice. You know, new dynamic. Because, honestly, I have, like, no recollection or no memory of Mantis and Quill, like, actually interacting with each other. Like, I guess they definitely do in Infinity War because they're in, like, all the same scenes. But I, I'm literally trying to think of an interaction between Mantis and Quill. Like, literally just one-on-one. -on -one, and I can't think of one. Um, even though it definitely exists. It's I'm speaking more so to the how memorable it is. But anyway, so it was nice to have those kind of moments, too. So anyway, just harmless fun. It was sweet and nice. And, um, yeah, the best use of the special, special presentation. And uh, I really appreciated it. So if you haven't already, please watch it. And I could see myself watching it again. You know, like, when I go home... Uh, maybe with my sister or my family turning on the holiday special. I'd, I'd like that. I'd like that. I just kind of want to rewatch it. I mean, that's different. I don't feel that way about Werewolf by Night uh, so much. But maybe I'll, maybe when Halloween comes around again, I'll feel a little bit different. But yeah, it's kind of cool to have like a, a mood Marvel thing. So anyway, the holiday special, I think it worked. Big success. I am more excited for Guardians 3, which definitely works. Uh, in my favor, you know, as somebody who wasn't high on Guardians 2. And there's people out there that are like that. So, uh, I really appreciated it, and I hope you have fun with it, too. And that's kind of really all I have to say about the Guardians holiday special. Disney Plus had a good week this week. It really did. Guardians special, the Andor finale, two great uses of Disney Plus. You know, it's really sad that Andor just never seemed to gain... A high viewership and it's really frustrating to me and I don't want to I mean this is just kind of how I, how I feel when a Transformers movie comes out and it gains a billion dollars and I just I feel like I want to lose faith in all of humanity because money is what decides what's what's not lasting but money is what decides what a success is in Hollywood it doesn't actually matter about the art and the objectivity of it. If it makes money, it's a success, and they'll make another one. So, the fact that Andor is one of the best... When, it, when we talk about high-profile franchises, and we talk about its place in television and movies, Andor is one of the greatest TV shows um, under this big franchise umbrella. Easily. It's the best Star Wars show, hands down. It D Disney Plus doesn't deserve it. Star Wars doesn't deserve it. Disney doesn't deserve it. It is just so far beyond uh, what Star Wars has been and what Disney Plus has been. And I think it's easily the best show to hit the streaming platform. And it's highly underviewed compared to everything else. I mean, the quality... And the craftsmanship and the authorship that went into Andor, I think, far exceeds any of the other, um, what went into any of the other shows. That might not be wrong. It's probably impossible to measure. But you feel something different when you watch that show. It has such a great, unique identity in the Star Wars universe. And much like I said about the Batman, I literally can't believe it got made this way. I mean, the fact that we saw torture the way that we did, the fact that we saw suicide the way that we did, that we saw such mature themes, and it was shot maturely, and it was written maturely, and all of this, I couldn't believe that it was Star Wars. And it's exactly what I've been wanting. 
the problem with Star Wars is that you can either side with war or lore. And I'm more of a boots-on-the-ground war kind of guy. So this spy angle, the man-on-a-mission kind of stuff is what I respond to more than the myth of the Force. I love it. Lightsaber fights are exciting. I mean, I, I like both, I should say. The lightsaber fights and the Jedi and all, all that kind of stuff is fun to watch, for sure. But I think what uh, tickles my fancy more is what we get with the Rogue One, what we get with Andor. Um, and I just can't believe it stuck the landing. I, I thought it was an incredible season of television. Every episode. Some are very different. You know, there are some huge set-piece, climactic, episodes there are some that are more low-key and I, I think it got better as it went on I think maybe the weakest episode is probably just the first one just because I had to put all the pieces in place but at the end of the day we got the greatest show in my opinion on Disney plus and it's really underappreciated and it makes me sad you know there's gr some of the best Star Wars characters are in this show some of the best acting in Star Wars some of the best writing in Star Wars period and I just hope that I want to have faith that the the big wigs at Lucasfilm and Disney, I want to have faith that they learn the right lessons from this because I don't want them to. And I think they get it based on the backlash. I, I think, hopefully, I trust that the narrative is that the Obi-Wan show was disappointing, that Book of Boba Fett was trash, and hopefully the low viewership in Andor comes down to the fact that maybe people have kind of lost hope in Star Wars. Um, because they, they have to know. They have to know Andor is way better than the other. Uh, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, they're going to keep making what people are watching. But, um, but yeah, it's just sad because I think it stuck the landing so well. And I, I love watching the characters, but I, I don't really have a whole lot to say because Andor... We kind of know where he ends up, and we know where it's going. So I just love the week-to-week. -week. Uh, I'm fascinated with the new characters. And I think the DNA of the show knows that, too. I mean, the show highlights the incredible ensemble cast. I mean, there are great characters, great actors in the show outside of Andor. And the fact that, you know, we know where Andor ends up. I mean, definitely we want to see the guy that we get in Rogue One, 100%. I'm fascinated by his backstory. But seeing everything else that's going on in Star Wars, it's the kind of stuff that I remember watching A New Hope. Um, not too, I mean, not too recently, but you know, probably ten years or so ago. It was like the first time I'd really visited Star Wars in my adult life, and I remember the first time watching A New Hope, and I, I just remember not having any sort of bearing as to like what the Empire was actually doing. Like I get it on paper, an Empire and a rebellion. But I didn't really understand what it meant to have an imperial occupation. Honestly, it wasn't until about Rebels, probably. And I didn't even finish Rebels. But it was like the first season or so of Rebels. Um, everything that was going on on Lothal and the Inquisitors and everything. I was like, oh, this is kind of like what they're talking about. In terms of like the Empire instilling fear in the galaxy and having uh, control. And But you don't really see it in Star Wars. The movie. Or Empire. You don't really understand what an Imperial occupation is doing. Until you watch something like Rogue One and Andor. And you see that they have their hands and everything. And that is where I think Star Wars succeeds for me. You know, I don't think it takes... I, I think that's where Star Wars has been lacking. I, I feel like we get the Jedi. We get what happened... Uh, and there's only so much you can do with that, but there's a lot more story to tell here and it succeeded tenfold and, uh, I'm just so blown away. Um, the only thing I'll say is that I don't know if Andor, I don't, it remains to be seen just cause I haven't rewatched it, but I, I would love to know how I feel on a rewatch. So I, I want to give it some time though, cause I got a lot of other stuff to do and worry about. So I'll probably revisit Andor, uh, next year. Uh, we got two years, I think until the second season comes out. So I definitely rewatch it next year in anticipation to refresh my memory and all that. And so, uh, probably around the time the acolyte comes out. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to it. 
But Andor is easily the best thing on Disney Plus, hands down. The menu was one of those movies I saw the trailer a million times. I feel like it should have come out like six months ago, based on how much I've seen the trailer. But I finally saw it, I think, last week uh, with some friends of mine. And I'll tell you what, this was a very fun, thrilling, unsuspecting movie. I kind of like forgot a lot of the trailer moments too. So the stuff that I had seen still felt fresh and that was kind of nice. I mean, that was just circumstance. It was me, I guess, turning my brain off at the right times. I don't know. Maybe I was just over the trailer and I ignored it. Uh, but seeing the movie play out was, was interesting and they definitely kept stuff hitting hidden as well. Excuse me. Uh, but we got a great movie here, a great thriller directed by Mark Malad, I think is how you pronounce his name, but he's directed literally every TV show in existence, you know, Thrones, Succession, uh, the writers of this, Seth Rice and Will Tracy also come from uh, a satire background, wrote for The Onion, other comedy shows in Succession as well. And I, I think I'm going to watch literally any project that comes from people who worked on Succession. Uh, but Adam McKay produced this. Will Ferrell produced this. But as we think we know, they kind of had like a falling out with their production company. So this might have been one of the last things. Or maybe the, uh, the name or the credit by either one of them is just an obligation uh, based on how all that stuff works. But yeah, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay produced this. And uh, this movie is a lot of fun. It's exactly what you think it is setup-wise based on the trailer, but it also becomes something else entirely. And, you know, what I got from this, and I'm not going to spoil anything, I, I think, you know, from the trailer, it sort of has a satire on the rich and powerful, and they're all in this place, you know, the kitchen or the... Well, it's the kitchen. The restaurant that they all go to is on a secluded island. I think it's like 1,500... A person, so only the rich and powerful can be there, and uh, this famous chef, played by uh, Ralph Fiennes, um, turns it into an art exhibition, if you will, and to to their chagrin, because I, I don't know if they expected, I mean, I think they expected something on the level based on who he is as a personality, and they expect great food, but they don't know what's coming, uh, I'll just leave it at that. One thing that I gathered from this movie that I thought was very interesting, as somebody who turns on a webcam and a microphone to criticize film and television, uh, this movie is definitely a commentary on art criticism. Now, I think art criticism is valid and important. Uh, does it always come from great places? No, but that's just what happens when you deal with people and their opinions. Uh, so I have opinions on opinions, but overall I don't look down upon film criticism in any way that'd be ridiculous. what if what a shocker if i just came on here to talk about how <laughs> invalid film criticism was no i think it's an interesting examination because it's about a man this chef who takes his craft very seriously and takes his art very seriously and puts a lot of thought into it a lot of preparation just for other people to come in who didn't have to do any of that and they just get to criticize it. You know, that's kind of the name of the game. I understand how frustrating that is as an artist, 100%. I understand both sides, but I thought it was an interesting examination because it was almost as if he was a misunderstood artist who was creating art for people who didn't, there's different, depending on the characters that you examine, they interpret everything differently. You know, we have a Nicholas Holtz character who's a super fan of this chef and he takes everything for art and also is a big time foodie. Other people are kind of there just because they like the food and they're rich and they can afford it and it's something to do. Some people are there because they're literally food critics. So everybody has their own different perspective and their own unique entry point, but they also have common ground. Um, but it, it was just fascinating to sit, kind of sit there and, and see an artist struggling with, I mean, they, they kind of deal with that in like a movie like Chef, right? That also happens to be about food. Uh, what it's like for somebody to put all this thought and hard work into something um, just for it to be dismissed and discounted. Um, and so understand that frustration, but also there's a lot more going on because this is a genre film. It's not just about somebody who feels victimized by critics. Um, and uh, there's a lot of fun twists and turns. 
Um, at the end of the day, though, I don't think it blew me away or anything by any means. But it is a rock solid. It's a fun movie to watch with people for sure. Uh, I don't think it's like a top 10 contender, but I also don't think you can go wrong. Uh, it didn't blow me away. It's just a fun, enjoyable, you know, peek around every corner type of movie. And uh, I really appreciated that. So, and I think it's it's a somewhat decent movie to watch with, with family if you're going to... Um, I mean, there's definitely like violence and gore, so maybe not, but, um, and it's not like straight up horror, uh, but it is a fun movie to kind of watch, uh, if you're in the mood, definitely check out the menu. I've had a rock solid time at the theaters, by the way, the menu is one of four great movies that I saw the menu. And I also, I put up on my Instagram, I ranked all four of these movies in terms of like going with your family on the holiday and. So I, the menu was third in terms of family friendliness. Uh, this because this next movie I want to talk about. This n- next movie I want to talk about is dead last in terms of family friendliness. Uh, in terms of like being a great holiday film, but Bones and All blew me away, guys. It really did. If you don't know anything about this movie, I should have put a, pulled it up on IMDb. But Bones and All is the first film, I believe, that Timothy Chalamet has produced. It stars him and an actress that I'm not familiar with named Taylor Russell, who plays the main character, Marin. Uh, Mark Rylance is also in it. Andre Holland plays uh, Marin's father. This movie is incredible. And it's also extremely hard to watch and hard to sell. Because this is its a vibe. It's not for everybody. I mean, it is a gory, two-hour and 11-minute still drama about cannibals. And it's a love story. It reminded me a lot of Dr. Sleep, but lean more into the drama and the violence. Uh, I, I couldn't believe how much I was... I couldn't believe how much I was enjoying this movie. I probably could have sat in that theater. I went to like a 10.30 p.m. showing, and it's over two hours long. So when I came out of the theater, it was, it was about 1 in the morning. And I could have probably sat there for another hour watching this movie, and I can't believe it. So the reason why it's like Dr. Sleep. So basically the premise is that the main character finds out she's a cannibal, and she's kind of like forced out of her human existence. Uh, and this happens very early on in the film, but she's abandoned by her human father, uh, because he doesn't know how to take care of her anymore after all these incidents. And so she kind of becomes this nomad, becomes a, a weary traveler and she's young. She's like 18. Uh, but the thing about cannibals is that they, there's a lot of them that walk among us and they have a sense where they can sense each other, a smell. And so it's not difficult once you're out in the world to stumble upon another cannibal because you have a you have a sense for each other and different cannibals have different codes uh which is it was a cool layer you know some don't believe in eating each other and i guess some do and uh so all that was kind of fascinating there was a lot of world building to this movie that i didn't expect but uh, Marin's on her way and she meets different cannibals and ultimately winds up upon winds up with uh, Timothy Chalamet who is also a cannibal and you know all this world building is going on and I, I feel like it like crossed all of its T's and dotted all of its I's I mean it's it's a it's a tight concept and script and you know because there's a lot going on there's a lot of questions that I had in terms of like how are you going to sell me on this premise how are you going to make it feel real and it did not fail. I was so involved with the characters and the story. Uh, I thought it was sequenced wonderfully. It built upon itself very well. And I just kind of kept wanting to see what happened in this world and to these characters. Anyway, it's like Dr. Sleep because there is a nomadic group that their existence, in a manner of speaking, is almost above humans in a way like it's almost they're born out of humans but they can't find a way to exist in the world so they kind of have to constantly find this place and there's like oddly like empathy here it these two characters are weird characters that you're empathizing for because you don't know how you feel about it the entire time 
but watching them try to navigate their lives in the world that just constantly rejects them, it's it's amazing. And you're siding with people that eat other humans. It's wild. And, and I commend a movie that gets me to buy into that. I mean, hats off. Not really. I'm keeping my hat on. Kentucky. Um, but I, I I just couldn't believe how into this I was. So it was like Dr. Streep in that sleep in that Dr. Streep. It was like Dr. Sleep in that it was very still. It's about a group of people, um, you know, like Rose the Hat and her band of, you know, crazy witches. That's another thing, too. Mark Rylance looks very witchy and also kind of reminded me of uh, the nomadic group that Rose the Hat sort of belongs to and Dr. Sleep. And so the, the fact that they kind of have to feed off of humans and find their place and all that going on, very still movie. Um, but it's uh, more hardcore. And it's also, even though it's about cannibals, this might be like the greatest vampire story ever. Um, they walk amongst us. They have to feed off of feed off of us while also questioning their humanity and existence. This movie is one hundred percent not for everyone. One hundred percent. Like I would never like I would never just sit down and watch this with my mom and expect her to like it. It's a hard sell. But I think it's an incredible film. I really, really do. And it's probably going to be in my top 10 just based on how surprised I am that I loved it. Uh, director from, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Luca Guadagnino. Uh, he directed Suspiria and Call Me By Your Name, two movies I have not seen. As far as I know, this is the first film that I've seen by him directed. So I'm definitely curious. And especially, you know, I know that. Um, Call Me By Your Name is like what put Chalamet on the map and made him the star that he is now. So I definitely need to go back and watch that. Suspiria, I doubt it's my thing, but I'll definitely check it out. Uh, but anyway, I just think this is across the board. Um, it's an incredible movie. And I would not be surprised if it's in my top ten. Again, I get it if you don't like it. It's such a hard sell. It's very still, a very quiet movie. But um, I just thought it was wonderful. And... Timothy Chalamet's character is from Kentucky. So, another win for that. Anyway, Bones and All. Dead last in terms of family films that are out right now, but maybe a top 10 contender for me in the year. So, Bones and All, good for them. They got me to love cannibals. All right, so Wednesday, I had a really nice double feature. I saw The Fablemans early in the day, and I saw Glass Onion that night. One of the best double features I've had, by the way. Another great one was Little Women and Uncut Gems uh, a couple of Christmases ago. But anyway, uh, so I want to talk about The Fablements. This was probably my most anticipated movie of the, the second half of 2022. Uh, all of the obvious reasons, if you don't know, I love Spielberg. Of all the legacy directors that we have... Available Spielberg is my favorite 100%. It's the one I relate to the most uh, in terms of how he makes his films, but also just like the kind of life that he grew up with. Um, I've always responded to his movies, and unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot. I, Spielberg, I still have a huge blind spot. I've probably only seen half of his movies, uh, but I think it's just kind of because I, I watch the movies that I know I'm interested in. But I've, I've missed out on some of the classics. And I, I think that my next series of uh, watch-alongs will probably be me doing Spielberg. Um, I just feel like I owe him and owe you all that. But The Fablemans, it's his autobiographical film. And it, it's sort of... I felt like I was watching every Spielberg movie ever made rolled into one. While also watching his life. And I, I was very familiar with how he grew up. Like through his stories, but also a wonderful Spielberg documentary on HBO that I've seen multiple times. But and I've just always been, I've just always related to him because when I watch films, you know, I love coming of age movies, I love great science fiction and all that kind of stuff. I just respond to his his lens, how he views things through the eyes of a kid, and how he brings so much like wonder and joy to his films and it's just something you know when I go to movies I want to experience things I want to feel things but I respond to anything that just reminds me of my childhood or just thinks back fondly on the good old days on youth on a youthful perspective and that's what Spielberg always has 
So when I found out that he was going to do this autobiographical movie, I knew that like this was going to be it. And I saw the trailer, and I was like, this is what J.J. Abrams wishes he could do, <laughs> but he hasn't yet. Um, the Fablemans just, it already was one of those movies, you know, those movies that just kind of like already mean a lot to you, even before you've seen them. When I saw the trailer, I just knew, oh my God, I'm going to eat this up, going to eat it up. And, um, I was very excited and it it meant a lot to me too, because ever since I've lived with Ernesto, who doesn't pay attention to any of this stuff the way that I do, he's heard me go on and on about everything that I've already said to you about Spielberg and what I like about films and, you know, what's great about his legacy in particular. And so he knows that Spielbergian themes and ideas and movies are just, they're in my DNA. It's just what I gravitate to. Um, and he got to see this with me. It was the last movie that I think we're going to get to see together in theaters. Um, so it was fitting that it was Spielberg and a movie that meant a lot to me. Cause I, I just felt like it was, it was a nice way to sort of connect as I'm about to leave him. But, um, but anyway, Watching this movie was was fascinating for so many reasons. Because it's exactly why, it reminded me why I love movies. While also providing a lot of insight as to who my favorite filmmaker is. Because I think when you watch this movie, you just understand Spielberg movies even more so. Um, and a lot of the themes, a lot of the stuff that's going on here, a lot of it already knew. Um, because of the documentary and because of things I've heard him speak on, but to have him contextualize everything in a narrative was, was fascinating to, to, to the initiated. I don't know what it's going to be like for people who don't know a whole lot, but at the end of the day, people who don't know a whole lot about Spielberg, people that don't even know this is autobiographical, I think they're just going to still get a really solid or wonderful coming of age movie but the fact that i have so much more context i do think it enriches my experience but i don't think the movie it's not completely different if you remove it of its context i think it's still a great coming of age movie and a really thoughtful family coming of age drama at the end of the day so i just think the context enriches it but i I don't think it enriches a bad movie it enriches a wonderful movie um and, and of course, again, like I said, I, I, I make sure that you all know how much I was like already into this. <laughs> but the movie did not let me down. I thought it was wonderful from beginning to end. I thought it was beautiful and extremely well acted. You know, Michelle Williams and Paul Dano, they're not two actors that like, it, you know, th- there's a running joke that I hate Paul Dano. Uh, and what that what I mean by that is for the most part, he always plays characters that I just want to beat to a pulp. Um, it all started with there will be blood. I, I literally wanted to beat the shit out of him and there will be blood. And I, I am 100% on Daniel Plainview's side in terms of the beat, that beating, um, and looper, he annoyed me and prisoners. He annoyed me the Riddler. He annoyed me. Um, so this was a nice change of pace. Um, you know, Paul Dano, it's just one of those guys, these actors that he's so good. And it just so happens that he plays characters that annoy me. Uh, but no, so Paul Dano, Michelle Williams, I don't have a big relationship with, but I thought their performances were incredible. This was one of the best dramatic Seth Rogen roles as well. And then you have the newcomer as well. Um, I thought both actors who played Spielberg's character, uh, were great. Uh, Gabriel LaBelle was the primary actor who played Sammy Fableman. And I don't recognize him from anything. Um, it looks like he was in the predator and that's probably why, cause I didn't see that movie. And I guess he's from, I, I zombie. Um, so yeah, he was, he was new to me, but I thought he was fantastic as Sammy Fableman or Spielberg. I'm probably going to say that throughout this review, by the way. Um, but I think one of the things that fascinated me is that you have this family drama. Um, Spielberg's mom was very immature and childlike. Um, and very like fluid in her personality and very outgoing, very extroverted. And his dad was more buttoned up and, and, and I don't know, polished, I guess you could say. And you learn a lot about that in the documentary, the Spielberg documentary. But I loved in this movie, you see this child, um, and they're married for most of the movie. You kind of just see him flip back and forth from parent to parent, depending on what the parent does that affects the other parent. 
And you kind of like constantly see him playing this tug of war back and forth. And that's what, I don't I wouldn't call it like being ripped apart by his parents, but just depending on the circumstance and depending on the event that takes place, he just sides with it. and you can see his heart being split and going back and forth from right and wrong and what it's a heart and mind battle. It's a science and faith battle, and there's a lot of stuff going on here that I was that I was fascinated by. And I just think there's it's so reminiscent of what life is actually like, because sometimes when you watch movies and you're really focused on a character changing and having arc from point A to point B, and it's kind of just one th- through line, and it, maybe it's not so complex, uh, but this was a very complex change, and it was just very real. Because being a human is complicated. You're constantly changing where you're at and how you navigate through life. So to see a character just constantly have go through that was... I just thought it was really real to me and authentic and true to the story that I know anyway, but also just true to human nature. And also love... One of the messages of the movie... You know, the character Sammy Fableman, much like Spielberg, he gets into making movies very young... His mother nurtures that. His dad, not so much. Uh, that's something I can relate to. Um, my my mom and Spielberg's mom aren't alike at all. But I see my dad and Spielberg's dad in that, like, everything that I was interested in, it, like, it, it had to be, he was interested in it as well, but also, like, on his terms. Like, every time whatever fandom I was into or whatever I was into as a kid, my ne- my dad never got into it just because I was into it. Like he didn't really like nurture anything and he didn't really like understand or involve himself in literally like any of my hobbies unless it was something that he was interested in. Like the most I ever connected with my dad was like over like Bruce Lee and lifting weights. And it's because he was already into that. But I remember as a kid, he, you know, all the movies that I wanted to go to just because I was a kid, he, you know, he thought was dumb. He would say all kinds of things that I liked were dumb. And, like, Pokemon was stupid to him. And, you know, like, even my music. You know, he didn't like my music. And, like, he didn't see a single one of my band shows or anything. <laughs> so, uh, so I related to that a lot. Um, and one thing that I was fascinated by is that at the center of this is that he's conflicted because he is trying to figure out what aspects of himself come from which of his parents and which one's right and which one's wrong. Uh, but obviously filmmaking is a hobby that he's into. And ultimately what he finds, I think, is that there's this control to filmmaking. And he can make anybody into anything that he wants. So, And he can deal with his problems through other characters, through other stories, through other people... And I think that's something that you kind of you find out towards the end of the movie is that it started off him trying to like figure out filmmaking in terms of like technique and through technology. But at the end of the day, he found that he can control his life um, and control people that are in his life. And, you know, and I thought that was a really fascinating turn. Um, So anyway, at the end of the day, this is a very thoughtful, uh, lovely movie i think it's um it's number two in terms of best movies to watch with the family on thanksgiving uh, there's one people pleaser that's in front of it uh but the fablemans lived up to my expectations it, i cried a lot watching this movie uh i thought it was very i thought it was lovely and one of spielberg's best in years and um it just hit the spot. It was for me. It was always for me. And it hit the spot and didn't let me down. So Fablemans, it's a top 10 contender for sure. Just based on how passionate I am about the material and the filmmaking. And uh, so there's that. Fablemans is lovely. All right. The last movie I want to talk about. It is the perfect movie to watch with people on Thanksgiving and in theaters. And unfortunately... This podcast is coming out, I think, at the end of its theatrical run. I think it's only available this weekend, if I remember correctly. And that's one of the main things that I talked about in a uh, video that I put out on uh, the YouTube channel already. I put out a quick out-of-the-theater reaction to Glass Onion. And it wasn't so much about the movie itself. Like, the movie's great. The movie's great. But it was just disappointing because the release strategy just... I don't know what... 
I don't know what Netflix is thinking with it. Especially because the movie's actually good. Like, I could have had this opinion prior to seeing the film, but I didn't know the movie was going to be good. But it is. And it's beyond anything Netflix has ever produced or done because just the quality of the writing, the, the director is there. And I don't know. I just feel like Ryan Johnson made this more as a Knives Out sequel than he did more for a streaming service. And, you know, Netflix movies definitely have a feel. Uh, but this isn't one of those. So if you remember, Ryan Johnson had a mega deal to make, I believe, two Knives Out sequels for Netflix. And I think they paid like $400 million or something crazy like that. Um, so it just, it was great. I mean, I feel like we were going to get Knives Out sequels anyway. So the fact that like, Netflix did that, like good for Ryan Johnson, but I wish it stayed with the studio. Uh, was it Lionsgate was the original? I kind of wish it stayed with Lionsgate, but there's no way Lionsgate would have paid as much money as Netflix did. So good for him and good for them, but at the same time, it worried me in terms of the quality and in terms of how, I don't know, this was going to be treated as a franchise. But of course, a ton of people were going to watch it if it was on Netflix and it, you know, it hits Netflix a month from now, but I don't want... If there's one thing I've learned about this, you know, going through the pandemic and everything, I've really found a newfound appreciation for the theatrical experience. Um, sitting in theaters and watching all the movies that I've talked about, it, I, I feel like it, it would have been completely different if I watched all of them at streaming. And especially a movie like Bones and All, if I was watching Bones and All at, at home, it would have been completely different in terms of my comfortability in terms of me looking at my phone throughout but the fact that I was in a theater watching this movie and I gave myself over to it and I sat completely still throughout I mean Glass Onion doesn't have that problem because it's much more like family friendly and it's entertaining and funny but um I, I just have this newfound appreciation for the theatrical experience so I'm it was something and I was glad that it at least got this theatrical run but I don't want Netflix to learn the wrong lessons from this and I hope that they don't. I hope that they see that there's a hunger for this and they change the strategy. But it also doesn't make sense in terms of like the Lionsgate strategy for Knives Out. At, at the least, that's the blueprint for what they should have done with Glass Onion. Because I believe Glass Onion only came out in like 600 theaters, but Knives Out was out in what, 4,000? So if Netflix paid all of this money, I hope that they learn the right lesson and and call this a win, no matter what the box office ends up being. I mean, it's too early to tell. It's Saturday morning. But, I mean, it, it's almost like they set themselves up to be disappointed by the numbers. And I hope that that's not what they think. So anyway, I just think Netflix was like the biggest problem with this. Um, because I don't want it to just become another Netflix dump property that's forgotten all about. Because Knives Out is above Netflix in that way. I mean, it is. Netflix doesn't deserve. <laughs> At least the Netflix that I've known the last few years that just shits out movies. Um, the old Netflix doesn't deserve this. Um, so hopefully they get their money back and hopefully they keep making more and hopefully everybody stays happy. It seems like everybody's happy. The cast and Ryan Johnson have a great time, I think. Um, but anyway, I just hope Netflix doesn't learn the wrong lessons here. Uh, but with that said, just to talk more about the movie. I think the movie is, at the end of the day, every bit as good as the first. I, I think I prefer the first, but, you know, it's it's kind of semantics. You know, the, now that I've seen this, um, I think it's so good that it kind of just comes down to your preference in terms of, like, which cast do you like better and, like, which aesthetic or which setting do you like better. Do you like the Clue-esque uh, New England, like, Boston, rich family vibe? <laughs> Uh, spoiled brat vibe, or do you like uh, rich billionaires uh, playing with the world vibe? Uh, it, it comes down to the setting and the cast and the aesthetic, but it, at the end of the day, I mean, it's another Knives Out movie. It's another high-quality, fun mystery thriller. And, you know, this could have gone the way of Marvel, and it could have become more of a parody of itself, and I think it, 
I think, I, you know, I watched Knives Out last night, and I think the tone is spot on. I mean, are characters silly? Yes. Are, is it satirical? Yes. But are the characters also taken very seriously? Yeah. I mean, I didn't want Benoit Blanc to turn into Jack Sparrow. You know what I mean? And I don't think that he did. I mean, I think it was. Ex- I thought it was very consistent in terms of how they carried over the tone and the character work and the writing from movie to movie. And I, I, of course, it's different in the right ways. You know, all the characters are still unique and different and fresh, um, and they satirize a lot of what's going on now. But at the end of the day, I thought Ryan Johnson is it my favorite Ryan Johnson movie? No. But uh, I think it is another rock-solid movie. And I I wish that I'd probably gotten this out even further if I needed to convince you to see it in theaters, because you should have. But, you know, you do get to watch it at home uh, here in like a month or so. But Glass Onion, I think think it works. Um, And it definitely lived up to... I think the title's terrible. But it definitely lived up to the Knives Out um, franchise and what it established in the first movie, 100%. Janelle Monae was lights out. I think everybody did a great job, but Janelle Monet was lights out in this movie. And um, everybody, Batista, Edward Norton, it's crazy how much better the movies Batista is in than Dwayne Johnson. It's crazy. Is Dave Batista a better actor than The Rock? Mm, probably not. But he is in infinitely better movies. Infinitely better movies. My God. I mean, Batista was in the Guardian special... Um, and Glass Onion this week. Um, and Black Adam was rushed to digital distribution because it can't make money. Um, Dave Batista is a just, and he's got Knock at the Cabin coming out soon. Just incredible stuff by him. Um, and it's always great to see Edward Norton, you know, coming from uh, Fight Club. You see the Fight Club movie pal back here. Uh, but anyway, it, it just it's a fun movie. I think honestly, I was kind of disappointed with how. Catherine Hahn um, wasn't as Catherine Hahn as I expected in this movie. Um, she's kind of explored the least, but she's still a good addition nonetheless. So anyway, another movie where Ryan Johnson just had a lot of fun with a fun cast. It was well-written and entertaining. And uh, give me more. Keep them coming. Ryan Johnson, Netflix, keep them coming. Put them in theaters. Get your money so we can all enjoy these movies together. I think that's all that I got. Um, my voice is tired. You know, it's not even 11 a.m. I gotta, I gotta get breakfast and I gotta get ready for my move and my dinner and just all kinds of stuff. So anyway, I'm glad I could sit down with you real quick. Again, this was the last podcast, uh, before I move and, um, yeah, it's going to be crazy, but I'm thankful for you. Thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. And, uh, don't be a stranger. Follow me on Twitter Instagram, I'm on Hive, Rewatch Ryan, I don't really know how I'm supposed to have fun with Hive, I don't know anybody on it, so, uh, but I'm on Hive, and Letterboxd, Rewatch Ryan, of course, if you're listening on the podcast, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, if you're on the YouTube channel, please subscribe to the podcast, I greatly appreciate your time, as always, and I will see you in Kentucky, with my new setup, my new equipment, my new schedule, whatever, it's all new, coming up. I appreciate you very much, and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.